Hey everyone, this is Derek Bros with the Conscious Resistance Network. And today we are going to continue the ongoing conversation, the ongoing investigation that I've been involved in for the last few years relating to child abuse, sexual abuse, even more specifically, child uh, sexual abuse of children involving uh, claims of satanic abuse, and even more specifically, ongoing in the state of Utah. For those who've been following the last couple years, you know that I've been on the case of David Hamblin and his arrest, as well as his ex-wife's arrest. And that led an investigation for me, looking deeper into the Mormon church, uh, looking into, in general, the, the history of abuse in the state of Utah, which is quite extensive. And uh, many of you reaching out to me, sharing your stories, including Kate, who gave us her story last year of being abused within uh, the church by members of the church. Today, we're going to continue that conversation by looking at uh, some just some more in-depth research on this. You know, as you know, I've been fairly new to this, but there are others who've been doing this for quite some time and have a bit more experience. And I believe Cindy Metcalf is uh, one of these folks who have been doing this for a while and is doing great work now. She is the founder and the executive director of Relentless Hope. Her name is Cindy Metcalf. Welcome to the show, Cindy. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Derek, for inviting me onto your podcast. It's it's an honor, actually. Yeah, well, you're you're very welcome, and I look forward to learning more about your work. I mean, obviously, looking forward to a topic like this is you know it's a difficult thing to say, but I mean that I'm grateful somebody like yourself and the people you work with are out there to continue this investigation. This has been one of a number of topics that I've covered over the years, but it's not the only topic I cover. So I really do often rely on people like yourself who are in this fight and in this research on a daily basis to you know pull from and to build on top of so thank you for all the work you've done and why don't we just start with a little bit of your story before we get in i know you've got some slides and things we're going to share with the audience today but maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, your background how you came to be involved in this research and what led to the founding of relentless hope yeah so i worked for another nonprofit agency a few years ago that specialized in polygamy rescues and recovery. And as I was talking to the survivors, they would begin to tell me about some of the most disgusting, scary things I've ever heard in my entire life. And I recognized it as ritual abuse because uh, um, I, I knew of that term. I knew of that issue. And I thought at the, the conclusion of my job there that if this was happening in the polygamy communities who claim that they're Mormon, then perhaps this is also happening in the LDS church. So I went on a, a basically a big research project to find out if I can get some inf information to substantiate what I was thinking. So uh, about what time period was that? How long has it been now that you've been on that journey? So I've been working on cases since 2018. Um, I have spoken to dozens upon dozens of survivors, and I believe what they're saying. I, I believe that the satanic panic theory is it's it's a bunch of hogwash uh, because I'm going to be showing you some statistics that help prove that this is actually going on in Utah. And the one thing I want to mention, too, is the the false memory is what something the satanic panic community keeps keeps bringing up. But uh, the APA, the American Psychological Association, never ratified false memories. So false memories doesn't really exist. And so I reject any of the satanic panic 
arguments that come against survivors to discredit them. And especially based on my research, I just, I don't see how it's possible to ignore what's happening here. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. The, the false memory syndrome is something we've talked about here before and definitely reasons to be doubtful of those claims when you look into the people behind that research and promoting that research. Um, when did you end up find, uh, founding Relentless Hope? So I worked independently for a number of years, about five years, and then I started Relentless Hope in January of 2023. So uh, we're very, very new uh, organization. We got our 501c3 status in July. I formed a board of four members. And then in addition to that, we have um, 11 volunteers uh, who are on the staff. And that's four um, admins, four advocates, and then three investigators on the team. And it's growing. So very cool. Well, thank you for, for founding the organization and for doing the work. Let's go ahead. Maybe we, uh, you want to jump into your slides and I'll let yeah, you take it away thank from here. So I might have some questions periodically, but for the most part, I'll let you take it away here. Okay. Awesome. So uh, Relentless Hope offers survivors of virtual abuse with advocacy, resources, and support that they need to heal. Uh, Relentless Hope it also works with counselors, lawyers, and partnering agencies to get survivors the services they need, like shelter and legal aid. We're different than other agencies because we help those exclusively in the US. Uh, because this is a much bigger problem than anyone can ever imagine. We deal with the most complex cases that other agencies don't or can't address. So what I'm gonna do is uh, tell you about what ritual abuse is, because some of your audience members may not know. Ritual abuse usually involves physical, sexual, mental, emotional trauma designed to induce compliance in child victims in order to turn them into adult perpetrators. Ritual abuse is overwhelmingly family-based, multi-generational. Most groups believe in the spiritual power of their own bloodlines. Ritual abuse is a phenomenon that's occurring in many religions. So I, even though I'm focused on Utah because I live here, uh, there are all kinds of other churches that are involved in this. Unfortunately, the Baptist church we know of because of the public case, Catholic church, Methodist church, seven day, Seventh Day Adventist, uh, Freemasonry, and, and of course, the LDS church. And so these groups infiltrate the church churches uh, to profane the sacred. And many of these groups have existed for decades. Cindy, so, can I ask a quick question there? Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, on that 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 uh, factor there, just one back there. So, do you think is it is your is it your opinion based on your research that the LDS and these other churches, uh, you know, started out as legitimate and then were infiltrated, as you say there, or do you think in the cases of some of these churches, if not all of them, there was this rotten core from the beginning that involved ritual abuse? Okay, so now you're going to get me in trouble, Derek. <laughs> just your opinion based on your research. You know, you, nobody has to get angry, but I, because I, I have my own thoughts and I can share, but I would just be curious for yours since you're working on this regularly. Yeah, um, I think this started from the very beginning, uh, but I, I have a lot of LDS friends that would uh, argue with me on that point. A lot of them feel that it was actually Brigham Young 
who started these uh, rituals. Uh, he actually um, has in in the in one of his sermons, I believe, he had said that the blood atonement, uh, which is part of their doctrine, that is uh, an excuse, I guess, to abuse and rape and torture kids. I, I, I don't know what else to say about that. Uh, I want to sure. be very careful because I have LDS friends who I love and adore and they would never, uh, they would never want to do this. They wouldn't participate in it. Uh, so sure. I'm very careful. No, I hear you. So, I mean, under that, that belief, which I've heard uh, from others as well, then the original church founded by Joseph Smith would have been something more legitimate. And then when Brigham Young came along, like that's when these uh, abuses may have started. And, you know, I, I want to say just from my perspective that uh, I, for one, I agree with you. I've definitely met um, Mormons since I've been into this research who seem to be very good, upstanding people mm -hmm. and that I do not think would participate or condone or embrace this sort of behavior. And I think that's, we could look to the Catholic Church. You mentioned the Baptist Church, the Jehovah's Witnesses. There's been a number of different uh, incidents of abuse within those institutions. And I, I do think that uh, abusers, this sort of psychopathic behavior, uh, these individuals do gravitate towards places where they know they can take advantage of other good people and sort of legitimize themselves by like, you have this shell of good people who would never participate in these kind of things, which gives it the veneer of legitimacy. Mm -hmm. And then you've got some people within there who are using the access to children or, you know, their prestige in the community to uh, get away with whatever they want. And uh, it's definitely something we should pay attention to, but thank you, Cindy. I don't want to interrupt you too much there, but I'm definitely always curious for people's thoughts on when and where it started. Yeah. Um, so like I said, uh, these particular individuals who are usually psychopathic narcissists, uh, they're also very um, intelligent too. This is well orchestrated, well organized, what they're doing here. So one of, one of the things I wanted to share is like I, I said, I worked for an organization that does polygamy rescue and that I had spoken to many clients. One of the first things I looked into uh, as far as evidence is the Glenn Pace memo. memo sorry, I'm uh, not sure if you're familiar with that. Glenn Pace was a general authority in the LDS church from 1985 till his death in 2017. Uh, Glenn was asked to investigate the uh, reports of ritual abuse within the church. And so he interviewed 60 survivors, 53 of them were women, the other seven were men. And he concluded that they were all telling him the truth. The LDS church leaders then requested a review of the allegations. And then Governor Bangader asked the House to allot $250,000 for an investigation. The investigation lasted two and a half years, and then it was dropped, concluding there wasn't enough evidence to substantiate the claims. So not one person was prosecuted as a result of this two and a half year uh, investigation. And I find that astonishing. Uh, I didn't believe it. And if your audience wants to read the original Pace Memo, there's a link to my website here so they can read themselves. Glenn was actually very uh, open and honest about what he observed. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that uh, he, he was able to do this because this just proved that there was actually a case to be had 
and that they kind of ignored it essentially. So Absolutely. Next- I would I would just add that to the, anybody listening who hasn't heard of the Pace Memo, definitely go check it out on her website. It's worth reading and it's it's disturbing. Just more evidence of the history of this going on. Yes, correct. So I found some Utah statistics. Uh, I knew that the suicide rate here was a problem and I thought maybe they'd be related. So Utah had the ninth highest age adjusted suicide rate in the U.S. in 2020 for teens and an overall 66% higher suicide rate than the rest of the country. So I'm going to show you a chart here that came from the Utah Department of Health. And as you can see, the red line here is the suicide rate for U.S. males overall as compared to the suicide rate for Utah males. And then we have the purple line is uh, the suicide rate for U.S. females overall. And then the yellow line, of course, the suicide rate for Utah females. So quite a bit of difference. Quite a bit of difference. Going back, I wanted to look up even more about antidepressant drug usage here. So antidepressant drugs are prescribed in Utah more often than in any other state at a rate nearly twice the national average. So this tiny little state of Utah, we only have 3 million people here, but we ended up beating out the other larger states like California and Texas and New York. And this this was astounding to me. Uh, Next, I looked into what survivors were telling me. Almost all my survivors said that during their abuse, there was a camera rolling and that they were actually creating child porn. The biggest online consumer of online pornography was Utah in a study conducted by uh, Harvard University in 2009. In fact, the Online pornography had become such a problem that in 2016, our governor at the time was Herbert, and he declared pornography a health crisis in Utah. So the next slide, I'm going to show you mental health care access. This is a map of the U.S., obviously, and it shows the ranking on mental health care access. So according to a report published by the University of Utah, Utah ranked number 51 when it came to mental health care access. And so this does include the US territories such as Virgin Islands and uh, Puerto Rico, but we have the highest need for mental health care access, but we have the fewest options. And Utah is the 16th most wealthiest state in the nation. So why are we so deprived of mental health care? It is astonishing. The next thing I'm going to do is cover ritual abuse victimization. Victims are used for both sex and labor. The abuse is usually excessive, which includes physical, emotional, mental torture. The abuse is usually maintained, used to maintain control over the victim. Victims are usually drugged, and this is to keep them quiet and compliant. The abuse starts at birth. It usually ends at about age 18, but it can go well into adulthood if the abuse cycle isn't broken. Victims are told that if they tell anyone, they will be killed. And they believe it because there's plenty of examples that have been shown to them over the period of the abuse. Recollection of memories doesn't usually present until the 30s and 40s. And this is because a traumatized brain can't 
bring uh, memories back and do recall because the nervous system is so excited until you calm down that nervous system, they're not going to fully remember everything. And by then the statutes of limitations have ran out. Uh, the aftermath of ritual abuse. So over the past five years, I made some observation about what ritual abuse uh, survivors experience. Nightmares, flashbacks, and crippling insomnia is the number one complaint. That's uh, usually starts again at their 30s and 40s. They know something isn't right. They also, on a large scale, suffer from dissociative identity disorder, which is characterized by a person's identity fragmenting into two or more distinct personalities. They're also diagnosed with PTSD, depression, anxiety, paranoia, and many survivors or are incorrectly diagnosed with bipolar and schizophrenia. Physical problems would include bowel issues, chronic defecation, sexual dysfunction, UTI, STD, scars, broken bones, or nothing at all. Some of these perpetrators are very smart and also very careful not to hurt the survivor, so there is no evidence. Young females have unintended pregnancy once they hit puberty that end in abortion during one of their ceremonies. Survivors have inability to function. They can't carry full-time jobs. They often have to drop out of school. And this results in chronic poverty and a reliance on government aid. Relationship challenges are always there. High rates of divorce, inability to form and maintain friendships and even relationships with their own children. And last but not least, there are high rates of suicide, extensive drug and alcohol abuse. So what I want to go into next is the role of sodomy and ritual abuse. So sodomy steals the child's innocence. The group believes that Satan gives them power when they sodomize children. It's easier to program children and manipulate them if they've been sodomized. And last, sodomy affects the brain. So I wanted to take a deep dive into this further. I wanted some information to help me uh, substantiate this claim. And so I came across some, a journal actually in 2017, there was a study published in the Industrial Psychiatry Journal. And what that study found, well, actually I'm gonna quote directly from the article because I think this summarizes it. The colon and rectum are innervated by two distinct spinal pathways, the lumbar and sacral pelvic nerves. And the study found that childhood sexual trauma is associated with negative changes in the structure and volume of brain regions, including the prefrontal cortex. So I have a slide here I'm going to share that illustrates this. Right here, what you see is a PET scan of two eight-year-old boys. On the left-hand side is a normal brain. You can see the temporal lobes are intact and the prefrontal cortex, there's active brain activity, which is in the red. On the right-hand side, however, is an eight-year-old boy that grew up institutionalized in an orphanage. He was brutally beaten and raped at that institution until he was adopted at age eight. His PET scan looks a lot different. Uh, the temporal lobes are obviously damaged and we have little brain activity in the prefrontal cortex. 
And this particular child is going to suffer emotion and cognitive problems for the rest of his life. So what I want to point out here, and I'm, I'm going to present later in the, in the presentation, is this kind of research takes a lot of money. We're doing PET scans. We're doing uh, forensics exams to get more evidence. And so your listening audience will have an opportunity to donate to Relentless Hope to help with this cause. So the next thing I want to show is uh, the sodomy, how it destroys the physical structure in the colon. So on the left-hand side, we have a five-year-old's normal healthy colon. On the right-hand side, though, is what we're what is known as floppy colon. This is what happens when a child is sodomized over and over and over again. What it does is it stretches out the colon. And as you can see, the heels and valleys within this particular uh, five-year-old child Often there will be spontaneous defecation well into the teen years because their rectum and their colon has been, like I said, stretched out so much. And this is very painful. You can see how this would be difficult to push uh, feces through that colon. Uh, it's, it's it has a devastating long-term effect. So the next slide, this is an actual client of mine. She's 15 years old. And so on the left-hand side, you're going to see evidence of blown out blood vessels. She was um, given drugs through an IV multiple, multiple times. And so this caused permanent scarring in her veins. Now, these, these images are of her, her two-year-old injuries. So these are healed. I can't imagine what they look like when they were fresh wounds. In the middle picture, she's showing burn marks from a cattle prod that was used on her. Um, and then on the right-hand side, uh, pervert, I like to call it pervert, per perpetrator, a pedophile, he put a cigarette out on her wrist. This is pretty common. So next I wanna discuss ritual abuse outcomes again. This is what I observed over years of interviewing survivors. The vast majority of perpetrators are never caught. In Utah, most perpetrators, if they're caught, are getting given light sentences. They are prosecuted, but for instance, I wanna to talk to you about Tom Green. Tom Green was a polygamist. He had many wives, many children. He uh, took his oldest daughter, who was only 12 at the time, down to Mexico and he married her and then he raped her multiple, multiple times. She became pregnant. And so when she started to show, it was obvious what Tom had done. And so he was prosecuted, but he only spent six years in prison. Pedophiles will abuse on average 170 kids during their lifetime. And pedophiles cannot be rehabilitated. Experts have tried, professionals have tried time and time again, and it just doesn't work. 37% of the victims become perpetrators themselves. Ritual abuse is happening, like I said, in many churches across the country. And then churches actively try to cover up the abuse to protect their reputation and their leaders and to limit civil damages. So I'm not anti-religion at all. I'm in fact a Bible-believing Christian but I just think this is alarming. We need to get the word out that this is going on on a regular basis. This is uh, not anything we want to mess with anymore. 
So the next slide I want to share uh, ritual, um, ritual abuse observations that I, again, noticed. Victims are not lying. They have the same experiences. I've talked with victims all over the U.S., and even though they don't know each other, they will tell me of the same kind of uh, abuse, uh, perpetrators, locations. 93% of psychologists believe the survivors were telling the truth. False memories, again, never ratified by the APA and satanic panic theories been de debunked a long time ago. So it's time for everyone else to realize that and get on board to prevent this. Like I said, abuse starts at birth, goes into adulthood. 85% of my clients were abused by their own parents. Uh, and that, that includes parents actually taking them to the ritual abuse location, dropping them off and coming back and picking them up three hours later. Kids are uh, groomed at church, schools, private homes, businesses. Uh, one of the things that survivors told me time and time again is that when they were six or seven, they were invited over to a, a sleepover at somebody's house, neighbor down the street, a friend. And they just remember eating or drinking something and then not remembering anything after that. And they found out later on that they were actually molested while they were out at the a place that was supposed to be safe and fun for them. Perps are usually white, clean cut, elite professionals, at least in Utah. Uh, that includes police, politicians, judges, celebrities, doctors, lawyers, you name it, they're involved. And since police are actually implicated in a lot of this ritual abuse, we don't know who we can trust here in Utah. And that's one of the needs. We, we need lawyers who have licenses in Utah who haven't been compromised by this to help us with our cases. Many cases have been dropped by law enforcement. So where are we going to find this justice? And so this was what uh, inspired me to start Relentless Hope uh, because we're just a bunch of normal citizens. I'm a certified victim advocate, but... I have people on my team who just, they want to see this stop. They want to protect kids. So how can we stop this? Um, and this is something I encourage everyone in your listening audience, because like I said, this is not just in Utah. This is in every state in the U.S. it's happening. And one of the first things I'd say is to eliminate the priest penitent privilege law. The PPP is a rule of evidence that recognizes certain communication as privileged and it's not subject to disclosure. So what can happen is a priest can go into confessional, a perpetrator can claim that they raped a child and there's nothing the uh, priest has to report on. He's, he can't be subpoenaed to talk, uh, to report. This is extremely extremely disturbing, disturbing to me. Um, the next thing I'd like to cover is removal of all statutes of limitations on child sex crime. Here in Utah, that statute would be HB 196, which is House Bill 196. We fully support this. This is sponsored by Ken Ivory, who's a, a representative in Utah. And we need people to encourage 
uh, their representatives to vote for this bill. In fact, this week, the committee for HB 196 is going to be meeting and discussing this. So I plan to be there at the Capitol. Um, That's great mandatory work. reporting rules to extend to adults if the crime was never reported in the past. And so what we are proposing to law enforcement is to create a database where survivors, doctors, and counselors can uh, self-report any kind of abuse that they have noticed within their offices. And this is important because this allows us to identify perpetrators, locations, and collect evidence that can be used in a court of law. Doctors and medical health professionals should be required to perform full scope vaginal and colon exams at the request of the patient and or parent. So one of the problems that we have ran into is uh, some of the doctors here in Utah, some of the hospitals have denied full scope exams. For the most part in Utah, they, they do external exams. And then they only if the child is telling them of a problem like bowel issues, will they do a full scope or uh, some kind of scan. And so what this does is it puts a great disadvantage to the child and the parent, because remember, the children were told that if you speak, if you report, we're going to kill you. And they believe that. And so the child isn't going to be saying anything. Mom or dad may deny or maybe they will uh, admit. I can't imagine to actually be in there while this abuse is happening. Uh, and then the other issue is the doctor will only do a full scope if the child's bleeding from their vagina or rectum. And this is what a forensic nurse had told me at a local hospital. Churches should be required to have a, a child safety protocol in place. And so what I find so amazing is that um, I don't feel any adult should be alone with a child at all. There's, I, I just, I don't get it. Not behind closed doors for sure. In addition um, to that, we also believe that prison sentences should be longer for convicted child offenders. And we recommend a minim minimum of 25 years. We want to keep these perpetrators off the uh, street for as long as possible. Because like I said, pedophiles can't be rehabilitated. And this, this next one, a lot of people <laughs> told me this would never, ever pass. But I'm going to say it because I think it's needed. Chemical castration should be mandatory for repeat offenders. And I call this my three strikes and you're out rule. So if you perp on more than two children, this this is going to happen. And and I don't want to pick on just the guys because women are very much involved in ritual abuse as well. In fact, I've heard that the women are much more sadistic than the men. Next, police should be. Is there a, oh, go ahead. It's just one question. Is there an equivalent chemical castration for females or is that not a thing? I mean, how, I don't know how, would there be any similar way to carry out a punishment like that? Or like you said, it could just be that it's a psychological thing and there's no way to erase it either way. Um, well, you stumped me. This, I've never been asked this before and I need to look into that. I don't have an answer. Yeah. I'm not sure either. Okay. <laughs> All right. I was just curious. Continue. Yeah. Please. Yeah. No, I'll have to look into that. And then my final point is that police should be required to take a report from victims claiming ritual abuse. 
currently, and this, this is not unusual. I have clients who have gone into police stations to try to file a report. And after they start talking about ritual abuse, the police start saying, are you crazy? Did you dream this? Uh, they start gaslighting them, uh, diminishing them. Uh, and some of them have actually been escorted out of the police station. And so this is so terribly wrong. Uh, the victims, they need reparations. They need help and they can't if they're denied a police report because it's required to have a police report in order, order to get VOCA reparations. And the reparations are funds that federal government uh, fronts to pay for services that they need. So in conclusion, I just wanted to share with your audience that obviously Relentless Hope, we need financial funding to keep our organization running. We also wanna provide services for clients such as counseling, neurofeedback, forensic exams, PET scans, and your audience can go to relentlesshopeforyou.org to make a donation. So thank you very much for allowing me to share with you. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, I just have a couple of questions before we wrap up. I'm going to show the website on the screen to make sure everybody gets that. But how many victims would you estimate uh, in the course of your work that you've come across, specifically victims who've claimed to have been uh, sexually abused in, in relate, relation to uh, ritual abuse and cults or satan Satanism, things of this sort? Um, so I would have to say I have personally talked to 70 but like I said, I have partners and they've also like Goel that you know about his Substack. He's interviewed over a hundred. So the be between the two of us, 170. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And what you outlined there again, a couple of points I met that you mentioned earlier, I would definitely encourage people to look up the PACE memo. That's I've reported on that as well. And that's a, a really big uh, document from, from this history. And I mean, the, the, the details you share there for those who are new to this in terms of uh, the psychological abuse and the uh, trying to create, I mean, some would say that the abuse and the dissociative identity disorder, the creating of kind of multiple uh, personalities, if you will, is also done on purpose, that it's not just sort of a consequence of the abuse, but it's done with that specific purpose, as you said, so maybe people don't recall things till later in life um, and too much time has passed. It really is just disturbing. What would you say, Cindy, to somebody who maybe has come across this video and maybe they're familiar with my previous work, maybe they're not, um, maybe this is new to them and who doesn't quite feel that the uh, satanic panic has been debunked? You know, you mentioned that earlier. What would you say to anybody who still is holding on to this belief or this idea that claims of ritual abuse, satanic ritual abuse, uh, sexual abuse of children in these organized fashions are, you know, that the abuse is happening in some way, but there's no bigger organization. There's no ritualistic element to it. What would you say to somebody who still believes that? Well, I would say do some research. Don't listen to the mainstream media because they do their very best to hide what's going on they uh, diminish clients all the time trying to make you think they're crazy and that they're making this up. And what I hear the most from uh, professional counselors as it's false memories. Well, like I said before, the American Psychological Association 
basically debunked false memories. They didn't ratify it, which means they didn't approve that it's an actual uh, diagnosis. Or um, And so I tell them to look at the evidence, look at the evidence that's been provided. There's physical abuse. It's, there are internal abuse. Uh, there is different types of exams we can do to prove that this is actually happening. So, and again, we have many, many survivors who have gone through this before and speak up and tell the world about what is going on. So, yeah, I just, I don't, I used to think, well, this could be credible, but no, after, after doing research, I feel pretty confident that these survivors are telling the truth. Well, and I, I stand by that as well. I think anybody who looks closely at this and looks beyond what Vice News and other mainstream outlets are telling you to think about this, it becomes clear there's something there yeah, and there has absolutely. been for quite some time. Um, I just want to remind everybody, as you mentioned, Cindy, the website, RelentlessHopeForYou.org. Encourage everybody to check that out. And you mentioned you have a fundraiser coming up on February 10th. So guys, if you support the work that you heard here, check out the website, get in touch with Cindy. And if you can donate, if you can contribute, this does seem like an important cause that needs your help. So more uh, victims can get the help they need and we can continue to find uh, find the evidence for this to convince more people. Because fortunately, we're kind of in that state where if people don't believe it's happening, then how can you get support for a bill you want to pass, right? Or to for people to recognize that this is something they should put time and energy behind. So the work that you're doing, Cindy, is so important and so valuable. And I'm really grateful to know that you're out there doing that. And I look forward to uh, collaborating together in some way. As I mentioned to you before, if you and any of your partners need help with specific cases, giving them more airtime or just need another investigator on your team, I would be happy to offer whatever I can. Thank you. I will probably take you up on that. There are a few of my clients who do like to speak about what happened. They've, they're healed enough. Uh, they feel like they're strengthened and that they can give a voice to this. And so, yeah, let's, let's work on that. Awesome. Well, any other closing words you'd like to share with everybody? We've got the website. I'll put all the links below, but any final message for the listening audience? Well, we really need support at our fundraiser in two weeks. It's going to be live. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be on Zoom or another webinar link, but I'll be sharing that. So anybody across the country can join. Everyone's welcome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Cindy, for your time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, if you haven't seen my previous work, I'll link that below. We're going to link to Cindy's work as well as some articles referencing her work so you can get caught up on this information. If you know anybody who has suffered abuse or is dealing with abuse right now, do not hesitate to contact me or Cindy and you know, we're going to do what we can to continue to expose this darkness. And it's only going to be exposed if good people choose to speak up and those who have been harmed can find the strength to know that they will be protected, they will be taken care of, and they will be believed. Then perhaps someday we can put an end to this abuse that has been going on for far too long. Guys, thank you for listening. As always, remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free. Peace. Since 2012, the Conscious Resistance Network has been an independent media organization focused on empowering individuals through education, philosophy, health, and community organizing. We work to create a world where corporate and state power do not rule over the lives of free human beings. Our motto is leading by example and helping others in their pursuit of freedom. Visit theconsciousresistance.com to find our articles, documentaries, interviews, podcasts, books, and more. Remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free.